the Black White Mass Incarceration Show. I am your host, Sierra Cobb. Black White Mass Incarceration Show is a space that is used to uplift the unheard voices of the criminal and social justice issues that many face today. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoy. Sponsored by Emancipate NC. Supposed to be sleeping pills. Um, 
I had side effects. Like, and I felt like the medicine wasn't working. I felt like I was more depressed, more angry, even more sad. Like, I cried. I felt like I cried more than when I was on it. So, I would just stop taking it. And sometimes those side effects affect people differently to where instead of it being an antipsychotic, it's a psychotic medicine. Like, it's not stopping any of, you know, the dark thoughts that you're having. And so sometimes or a lot of times people are sleepwalking and they have killed somebody. And it was because they were taking antipsychotics and sleeping pills. And... Those are some of the side effects. Like, I was taking Seroquel, and first they started me off at, like, 100 milligrams, and then it just kept going up because it wasn't affecting me. Like, I was just up. And some people were like, I would take 100 milligrams, and I'd be knocked out for days. And I'm like, oh, well, I don't know what's wrong with me, but that's not what's going on with me. And then it, <laughs> it got to the point where it was starting to make me nauseous, like, all the pills that they had me on. And I was, I just, so I just stopped taking them. Because when I called the doctor, he was like, well, I'll just pre prescribe you something for nausea. And I'm like, so that's the extra added pill? Nah, I'm good. So I just started. Yeah, because it's like, hey. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, but it's, I mean that's like crazy because that was just an alternative to give you more psych meds. Like that was going to cause more side effects. Right. Like he ain't trying to find another solution. He's trying to find another drug. It's crazy because, like, when I was a kid, I know I can remember this, man. My mom, I was at school. I was going to college, man. I never forget it. I was middle school, man. These teachers back then, they were get, getting a lot of children on Ritalin. Like, you could see the minority just getting on Ritalin and reading aloud, trying to say that they were slow, not... Uh, reciprocated quick enough like other kids that was in AA class, which is, you know, home, you know, the home class. Mm -hmm. And uh, they would put them in trailers. You know, you separate these guys, give them a read aloud, but you're not teaching them nothing, you're babying them, and then you're giving them the Ritalin. The Ritalin slows you up. It doesn't make you concentrate. It puts you on stuck mode, like in a daze, hypnotized, tranquilized. Mm -hmm. Makes you gain weight. You know what I'm saying? I had to stop. A lot of yeah, people gain weight. Like, got fat. Stop that stuff on my own. I had to stop that on my own. Like, I'm not about to keep taking this stuff. Like, that stuff don't make me. And then, when they, when they find out that I it ain't affecting me, they're like, yo, it ain't. Yeah, because I'm not taking it. They, they offer me Adderall. 20 minutes, 20 milligrams of Adderall. That's it's even worse. worse. Yeah, that's even worse. That is a straight <laughs> narcotic. Literally, like a narcotic. And you got children yeah, on that, like, and they're up for days, and I, I just didn't understand. I don't understand why pharmaceutical drugs have 40,000 side effects to supposedly fix a symptom. Like, it's not fixing the problem. It's just taking care of the symptom. You um, have to fix the that's, problem. That's my whole issue here. Like, if you're going to help somebody, help somebody. Because everybody, everybody might not be wired the same, but I'm still a human being. So it's, it's, I still got, I still could be treated. 
so you can find some type of natural way that will work for me. It's always a way to help somebody see things correctly, but you can just present it in a different way for them to understand. Because that's all it is, is just misunderstanding. Like, yo, you, I might not understand an artistic kid, but he's artistic. It means he would have to be taught through art, through symbols, through, you know, a holistic perspective, not get him this drug, this drug, or just to treat him this way because he see it this way. You have to have a teaching format. That's what's wrong now. They're not trying to develop different teaching formats or different practices as far as trying to solve the problem. They just want to here take this and get you get you out of the way. Right. And it's like not acceptable. No. That's why I ain't, I ain't even mad at the people today. Uh, I I will push out and protest, protest, protest. Because it means y'all waking up. Like, y'all need to wake up. Y'all been asleep for like 40, 50 years. And y'all wonder why we're going through this now. Because they, they, they put y'all to sleep. They put everybody. They put me to sleep. I had to wake up too. So they, I ain't sitting here. Acting like I'm better than nobody because I'm not, but I'm learning and I'm both. Right. And I'm going to tell it. I'm going to put everybody on game because there's no way that you can sit here and allow your kid to go to school and be treated different. You know what I'm saying? That's that's where it really starts. You want to start putting kids on these anti-depressive type men talking about depression <laughs> and wondering why they they going coming back with guns. Right. They, these side effects is is killing them. It's, it's making them think other than their own natural self. Like, y'all are like, that's like, oh, my God, he got a depression problem. That's not, like, that's not something that's irregular, okay? Um, it, that's a human, that's a human affection that's, that's regular. Everybody gets depressed in the world. It's all about how you handle depression. Right. So I guess we're touching basis on um, the effects of excitement. Uh, the symptoms. Like I said before, I guess uh, we got a interview that will explain and tune y'all in to what's going on and <laughs> the effects from a childhood to adult. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, I guess we could uh, talk a little bit more on guess the way they present it or how they present it. Are you talking about Even like the street? medication? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I, mean, I would want the um, people to give us their insight. So email us at blacklight at emancipatenc.org. Yeah, and tell us what, how y'all feel about their situation. Um, tell us y'all experience, and we'll definitely read it and give y'all some comments on it. Because let y'all know we on y'all side, because we are for the people. That's what the show is all about, and we're about putting the people on game, man. And we will be here for y'all if y'all want us to put people out there that's not doing a job. Because yeah. these prisons are not doing a job. They but, don't make it work. But you do know, babe, yeah. that Emancipate NC has a database. Um, we have a police database. We also have a correctional officers database. I want y'all to know that. So oh. if you have an experience with a police officer... If you have an experience with a correctional officer, go to www.emancipatenc.org, and when you see the three little lines, 
that is our menu button. Click that and you will see it says correctional officer database and police officer database. So please report these people because we hold them accountable. That is the thing. Nobody is holding these people accountable, but Emancipate NC will. So please use that database. Right. So please bring some awareness to the situation. Because if you don't, we can't change the system. No. Remember, it's, it's not the people. The system makes the people. The system try to make it like it's the people's fault that it's criminal, that it's criminal crimes. <laughs> that but America has the most incarcerated the percentage? Yeah. <laughs> it's the system. It's the system's fault, not the people. People always want to say you're talking about blaming somebody else for a certain problem, but you can't blame somebody else for what predicament you put in. I was given this world and I was and I didn't make it. I didn't make this world. The people didn't make this world. They made this world a system man. So you gotta think about the whole layout. Right. Because if I'm saying this Staying in a low-income neighborhood, it's only so much my benefits can get. <laughs> and if everybody working on outside of that neighborhood ain't trying to get no chances, and you raise inflation, what do you got? Because I don't want to... I, I see so many people struggling right now. Nobody should be poor. Like, And people be like, well, people are lazy, but... Sometimes people aren't lazy, and sometimes there's there's other people that were lazy, but they had somebody to motivate them, to help them, and then give them the opportunity to be better than what they were. And that needs to be for everybody, not for specific people. Like, people don't never think about situations. They just feel like it only happens to that person, that it doesn't happen to them, that they haven't had a time in their life where they were lazy, or they haven't had a time in their life where they've done something. It might not be a crime, but you've done something wrong. Ain't nobody perfect. Yeah, you done something. <laughs> you did something. <laughs> nobody perfect. Nobody yeah. in America is perfect. So, we need to stop passing judgment and start helping one another. Yeah. Shout out to these lawyers, man, because y'all are officers of the courts, but y'all are also advocates. So, I'm just encouraging y'all to advocate more than you know what you're doing. Shout out to my team life. for the stuff that they do. Our lawyers be working. For real. You know, they be working. So if you don't hear from us, it's not that we are that we don't care or that we ignore y'all. We get buttloads of work because we doing the work because we care. Yeah. So yeah, um, like we said, we got. Y'all get prepared. Yeah, for this interview, I think you'll enjoy it, yeah. and definitely. Get prepared for this. Drop the comments, questions, concerns. We gave you the email address already. If it's anything negative, keep that to yourself because we don't do negative on the show. It's all positive. It's all about uplifting and humanizing people. So if it's constructive criticism, we take that. But if it's negative, we, we don't do that over here at Emancipate. We're all positive here. Right. So y'all enjoy the show. We appreciate y'all. Yes. Yeah. Give them the email one more time. They just can't do it again. Black lights at emancipatenc.org. My name is David D. Farrow. Currently serving the Life Without Parole Center. Incarcerated at Caswell Corrections. Um, my crime just really consisted of being in chronic pain, 
lower back pain for years, fighting it with narcotics, self-medicating. Uh, just put so much stress and strain on my family life with my, my girl that I have a young and with that we ended up breaking up five times. And like the last time we broke up, she started seeing somebody immediately. He started threatening me and he started telling my kids he's going to kill me. And I put all the pain medicine down from the doctors and uh, they just put me on a barbiturate for withdrawals instead of sending me to rehab. And four days later, I got in a heated conversation. The law became involved. They just kind of came to my yard and threw more logs on the fire and left. And I just snapped and ended up going to his house that night and shooting. Wake up, didn't know what I was in jail for. How long have you been incarcerated? Just June the 2nd will be 20 years. 20 years, that's a very long time. So how old were you when you first um, went to jail for this crime? 34. And how old are you now? 54, just turned it, March 31st. So that's decades you have missed of your life. Yes, ma'am. Okay, and so you said you have life without parole. Yes, ma'am. Are you trying to? So, what are you? What are your hopes to change life without parole? Yeah. Oh yes, ma'am. I, uh, I've been working on my case since I've been in here. I was my case was definitely handled wrong. Um, I had no private investigator, no mental evaluation, no nothing. Uh, my two lawyers never even turned anything over to the state my defense. They never interviewed my doctors, my friends, family, nobody. Just didn't do nothing. Left me in safekeeping for 10 months and forced a plea bargain on me. Do you know why you, so you just snapped or it was just, can you go into that a little bit? Well, uh, when I did the crime, I hadn't ate or slept in 14 days. When I put the Valium and the Tylocks down, I just went through a heavy withdrawal. I had never been addicted to nothing before. I didn't ever crave the medication. Sometimes it would stay in my medicine cabinet for weeks without touching it, but I guess my body was addicted to it. I went in heavy withdrawal. I couldn't eat, couldn't sleep. I become dehydrated. I was walking around with a gallon jug of water and my emotions. I remember telling my doctor today that I went to, to be treated. He was in my, but the doctor that had me on the medication was in rehab himself for pain medication and alcohol. So I saw his, paint, his partner doctor. He drew my blood and my urine and come back and said, yeah, I see where you're definitely withdrawn. Um, what's going on? I said, man, I just can't control my emotions, doc. He said, what do you mean? I said, one minute I'm praising the Lord, the next minute I got a shotgun to my head. I said, I can just be driving down the road and just start breaking down bombs for no reason whatsoever. And um, he said, well, the good news is you don't need a funny farm yet. He said, I got a great medication here for you. I said, hold, doc. I just turned my life over to God rededicated, whatever. I don't want no more junk in my system. As a matter of fact, the clinic in Harris was right beside the church, so I said, how about going and getting a preacher over here to help me see what little bit of religion I got and then give me an IV to get the pain out of my stomach and send me up the road because I need help. He's like, well, you don't need a daggone funny farm yet. He says, it's a non-narcotic, non-addictive, just all-around great medication. It's good for your stomach. It's good for your appetite. It's good for your kidneys, your intestines. It'll help you rest all-around great medication, David. If every time your heart starts racing or you get cold chills or hot flashes or, you know, whatever, throw four of them in you. So that's what I did Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And I was at my mom's house, and we had my son. And my son just kept getting in my lap crying and shaking and squeezing me, saying he didn't want me going to heaven yet, that Mr. Gary said he was going to kill me, uh, and all this mess. You know, he was seven years old, and then me and Gary got to a heated conversation on the phone that day, and 
you know, Ron come to my house and said, David, how he's the situation between you and Gary. And the deputy was one year older than me, and I went to school with her and knew her whole family. So I'm like, Penny, what do you mean by heated? She said, well, we just had to call Sergeant Wilson over to his house because he's got guns laid out everywhere talking about killing you. We had to get we had to get Sarge to explain the justifiable homicide to him, the law. I said, well, damn, he, Tammy, how heated does it sound? I'm like, the question is, what are you going to do about it? She's like, there's nothing we can do. I said, well, look, I want him locked up. I said, you know me. If I bump into him in the post office or the grocery store somewhere and he starts slapping his gums, you know what I'll do. I said, but this time it's different, Tammy. She said, what do you mean? I said, I'm withdrawing from drugs for the first time in my life. I said, I'm unstable, and I'm afraid if I start beating on him, I won't be able to stop. She said, well, we can't lock him up because we don't think that the magistrate didn't hear the actual threats and blah, blah, this and blah, blah, that. So I just told her, you know, go on, get out of my yard, just leave. I'm out down at my mama's house as far as I can get away from him, and, you know, I just want to raise my son. You can see he's all upset and destroyed today. It's too much for him. He's only seven years old, and he doesn't need to be put through this. You know, I've had enough. And Sometime during that night, sometime during that night, my mama said I sat in the yard and stared up in the sky from like 10 o'clock that morning or 7 o'clock that morning till 7 o'clock that night. And I just got up and walked in the house and put the gun to my own head and asked her, if I, you know, you want to watch me do this or you want to see me do this, something like that. And she's like, oh, my God. She started scrambling to get my son dressed to get him away. And I just got the keys to her car and drove to his house and shot him. Kind of crazy. Let me ask you this. What have All you right. done since you've been incarcerated to change that reaction? All right. Well, first of all, I quit doing all drugs, period. I quit smoking cigarettes. I got an education. I got my GED as soon as I left Central Prison when I went to a prison where I had it. I jumped in there and did that immediately. Then I started doing vocational schools. Then I learned how to work out to try to treat my lower back problems. So I've, I've just dedicated myself to health since I've been in here in education. I uh, got. I kept trying to get on ICP. It took me a long time to get on there. I finally got on there in 2011. I think I've done five or six uh, ICP jobs, which came up to about seven and a half years because you got months sometimes in between jobs. Um, I did some sociology classes through East Carolina. Was it hired on on the satellite? I think I did three of those. Basically, I you know just I re I rehabilitated myself. Yeah, I stayed in the Bible. No, I'm, I'm not. As a matter of fact, when your husband just come got me, I was on the bed doing a Bible study then. So you're not, the, the system really ain't helped me. It's kind of fought me because I got life without parole. They won't let me do certain schools, certain vocations. Like ICP sent me to Hornet in 2013 after I did the central prison job. I've been trying to do a welding school since I've been in here. And um, I got to Hornet, and they refused to let me in it because I had life without parole. Right. So I just came off. I came off ICP and went to Eastern and just kept training and started training again. Um, I have a friend of mine that's incarcerated in Nash that has wrote, I don't know if y'all seen Bill 697. He also has life without parole. And what would that bill mean to you and to him and to everybody else who have life without parole if it was able to gain Republican support to be able to be passed? Yeah, it would mean a lot. Um, you know, I got friends that are Republican. My whole my whole legal team is Republican. Uh, the Dare County chairman of the Dare County Republican Party is on my visitation list. He's a real good friend of mine. His name's Alexander Douglas. But you know, they need to do something with this life without parole. We need to weed out the good from the bad, and, and that's where they 
the lawyers claim the Fair Sentencing Act was working years ago with paper patrol because, you know, the bad was stabbing in here and raping and dealing drugs and staying high and, you know, they didn't have a chance to get paroled. The good were doing like I did. They were actually trying to help themselves, you know, educate, change their life, become mm-hmm. peaceful, whatever. I wasn't a violent person anyway. I don't have any felonies whatsoever except first-degree murder. I know it's a rough one, man. It's a stern one, but that's the only felony I've ever had committed. I've never been incarcerated for anything. Right. I fought lower back pain from the time I was 19, 20 years old. And it just finally, when I was 34, I just I couldn't fight anymore. I, I had gotten to the point where I would get up 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm a commercial fisherman by trade. I would get up 3, 3.30 in the mornings and take them two of them 10-milligram pilots in their capsules and open them up on my tongue, you know, and drink a beer, trying to deal the pain so I could go crabbing or so I could go fishing or whatever. So you being in chronic you know? back pain is what started... This is basically what started this whole thing, and then you trying to reach out for help and telling your doctor that, you know, I'm not right, this is, you know, this is not working for me, and then he's like, oh, well, I have this magic pill for you, and then, you know, you take that, exactly. and it just makes everything ten times worse. So, yeah, I mean, yep. people like that always deserve a second chance. Like, I know somebody's life was taken, but also in the same note, you were more more of provoked in a way. Um, exactly. And then with, you know, coming off of detox and, you know, just amplified the situation 10 times worse. And the jury wasn't, you know, they they did not give the jury instructions to see that, to, to humanize that. And I'm sorry. But, yeah. um, you know, it's just, everything just came together at one time on me. It was just unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how to explain it, really. It's just, um, sometimes, uh, you know. We have 30 seconds remaining. I just look around me and wonder, you know, how in the world I ended up here and why my lawyers didn't fight for me because I had three, four, five defenses that broke my crime on my way down to manslaughter and they just didn't do nothing. I even got an affidavit from one of his employees that came to prison saying every time my ex would call him on a cell phone, he'd pull a nine millimeter out of a 45 and go looking for me and say, I got something for him. Mm. So I got a heck of a motion put it together. Do you want me to call you right back? Yeah, you can. I don't know where we're at when you're getting cut off, but what I was trying to tell you is one of, one of the, the fellow that I shot, one of his workers came to prison and ended up to hide with me. And I knew him from the street when he was young. And um, he told me one day, he said, you know, I was working with Gary when you killed him. I said, oh, bud. I said, listen, I wish I could change it, but I can't. And he said, nah, you done the right thing. I said, no, I didn't. I said, there's five kids that grew up without a daddy. I wish I could just go lay down by his grave and let it swallow me up, spit him out. He said, no, nah, listen, man. He said, every time your ex would call him on a cell phone while we were working, he said, um, he'd pull a 9-millimeter out of a 45 and say, I got something for his ass and go looking for you. He said, several times he went looking for him. Anyway, he did an affidavit for me. But another friend of mine who worked in a lumber yard because this guy built houses for a living stopped me one night when I was walking to my two kids' home. They had a talent show at the school, and we were walking home from there. The boys wanted me to walk them home for some reason. And, um... A fellow named Bobby Midget stopped me. He said, listen, David, he said, man, everybody's talking about when you're going to, you know, stop the shit out of Gary. I said, listen, man, tell that man I don't want no trouble. And I'm tired. Uh, all I want to do is raise my son. I said, just tell him to leave my son alone, you know. He said, nah, listen to me, boy. He said, whenever you do it, make sure you do it right. Make sure you're not in a public place. Don't lose that son of yours, he said. And always remember this. And I said, what, Bobby? He said, he's got a 9mm or a 45 on the front seat of his truck covered up with a magazine. Don't let him near his truck. So when we took off walking, you know, I was kind of upset. And my, my stepson, Riley, 
said, David, can I talk to you? I said, Riley, you know you can talk to me, boy. I said, I've always told you I ain't your dad, but I'm like your dad, you know. I'm, I'm there for you like your dad. He said, well, Mr. Gary said you come here and try to hurt once, he's going to kill you. I said, damn, Riley. I said, why would he say that to you? He said, I don't know, and he started bawling. That kind of got me crying, too, but uh, I said, listen, boy, out of eight years I've raised you, how many times I spanked you? He said, once. I said, tell the truth. Did it hurt? Well, I was trying to get his mind off of it, you know. He started laughing and said, no. I, I, I kind of grabbed him, pulled him to me, and was rubbing his, his head, you know, put my fingers through his hair. I said, Riley, I said, why, I said, why is he saying this stuff to you? And he said, I don't know, Dave. He said, Gary's pretty cool. He said, but you're much cooler, and I don't want you to die. And mm. um, what I'm trying to point out to you is little incidents like that kept playing with my emotions because I was already messed up from withdrawing from the drugs. Right. Yeah, just intensified it. Yeah, my emotions just become uncontrollable. I don't know how to explain it to anybody, but, you know, I told my psychiatrist at Central Prison one time, I said, you know, I said, for the longest time, I can't remember the crime. I said, but there's one thing I remember. And she's like, what? I said, it's like I died for a minute and left my body. And she said, what do you mean by that? I said, I can see myself walking with khaki shorts on and I can see the tattoo on my back. It's like I'm 25 feet off the ground. She's like, David, that's called disassociation of the body. That's the first signs of insanity. But see, they never, they all wanted me to go to Dorothea Tech for a mental evaluation, but I never went. My lawyers just done me dirty. They didn't even let me go to my Rule 24 here and the death penalty here. And they didn't, they just didn't do nothing. They, didn't um, do they nothing. hired a private, uh, they hired a private psychologist named Brad Fisher at Temple Hill. He comes to interview me twice for about 30 to 45 minutes each time. And he asked me the same questions, and I gave him the same answers because he told me, I'm not one of these guys you hire to pay $500 an hour where they're going to get on stand and say what you want. Just tell me the truth, what happened, and I'll tell you if I can help you. So when I told him everything the second interview, he's like, look, son, he said, I can help you. He said, it ain't like you were doing crack or heroin. You were taking legitimate medication from a legitimate doctor. You got put in a sick situation. I can help you. Well, they never... They never even talked to him and got his report. But my new, I had an attorney from 2007 to 2013 who was local, and I grew up with his brother and his dad and all them, and um, he became mentally ill and had to drop out of practice. But he did contact Brad Fisher, and Brad Fisher wrote him a letter saying, after a quick review of my file, it was his professional mental medical opinion that I was mentally impaired at the time of my crime. But they forced me to plead guilty before he got a chance to help me. And he was willing to help me any way he could now. Well, I've got two new lawyers now, and they're paid. We got the motion in court. That letter was part of it. But they can't. They think he's passed away, or they're almost sure he's passed away, but they can't find none of my records. And then the state paid him $5,000 to talk to me two times. That was part of the indigent services or whatever. Right. My other lawyer was Johnny Gaskins out of Raleigh. He's been to prison twice for uh, tax evasion, whatever, and um, his bill was only nine thousand for a capital murder case. The other lawyer, Thomas Manning, didn't even turn nothing in. He had received no payment. So, you know, for a capital case with all this stuff going on, I mean, it's like a lawyer's dream to have these kind of defenses to stand up for a defendant, and they didn't even. They didn't even dag on investigate or anything, you know. Well, that's, that's what, what kills me. that's what happens because sometimes you have attorneys that are true advocates of their client, and then you have a lot of attorneys who are just there because it's a job and they get paid a lot of money. It's not 
has anything to do right. with the advocacy of the client. Um, and so right. that's, you know, why we have the problem that we have or people don't have enough legal help because it's not enough people really, they don't really care about the person. It's just about, you know, their own personal gain. Um, so that's right. why I got into, you know, what I got into and why I work with the people that I do because it's only like, six of us and we have two attorneys who take on like half of DPS so it's it's a lot you just we just need more people to start understanding that a lot of people who are incarcerated are either wrongfully convicted or they just simply made a mistake or even a situation like yours when it's medically or medicationally induced um to where you take somebody else's life so that's the purpose of, you know, like letting people hear people's stories is so they can understand because a lot of people don't understand. They just know what they see and what they hear. Um, they don't know the actual facts. So that's why they judge a lot of people who are incarcerated instead of trying to really understand and see how they could help, you know? Yep. Hey, I've told everybody since I've been in here, even the guys that are in here for the crimes they did, whatever, they're still convicted of a crime more severe than what they should have been convicted of. If you understand what I'm saying? Exactly. So there's really actually a lot of people here that are innocent of the of the charge that they're, they're charged mm -hmm. with. Yeah, mm -hmm. they did the crime, but they, they've gone phenomenal on the charge. The charge, you know? yep. To have them yep. incarcerated for a lengthy amount of time because they know that they get free prison labor um, if they have yep. a lot of people that are incarcerated. Well, I thank you so much for telling your story. Um, yep. And I look to have a different conversation about the retaliation that you have experienced. So thank you again for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Your host, Sierra Cobb. Take care. 